Shabbat Alive is back for 2022. Led by Cantor Elias Rosenberg, Rabbi Michelle Robinson, and a band of talented musicians, Shabbat Alive is our music-filled service where we can welcome Shabbat with a lively spirit. Shabbat Alive is open to all and runs from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 every Friday evening in the Rabbi Samuel Cheel Sanctuary. Or you can watch our live stream at templeemmanuel.com. Shabbat Shalom, so good to be back with you. We missed you guys, and so good to be together. Um, this morning, we have a really, I think, a very uh, wonderful topic to talk about. Um, and let's thank God for the gift of learning to together, and then we will get right into it. Today we want to talk about something that we all have a lot of. Question, what do we have even more of than snow? Answer, vulnerability. We are all feeling vulnerable in a time like this for all the obvious reasons. And the question that I wanted to pose is, is there a way in which our vulnerability can ironically be channeled into our strength? And the, my launching off point for this is the song that I shared in the, in the Talmud teaser, Dancing on My Own. And I bring the song to you because it's actually a double vulnerability. The original lyrics by Robin are about something that all of us, uh, virtually 100% of humans, can relate to in the course of a lifetime, which is that moment when you have feelings for somebody who just doesn't see you. And you kind of cry out from your heart and soul, why can't you see me? And not only do they not see you, they are focused on somebody else. And you just feel the sting of rejection and the sting of loneliness and Robin sings about that, and the song itself is about vulnerability. But the video that I sent along with the Thomas teaser is another layer of vulnerability because the singer Callum Scott in this, um, Britain's Got Talent, himself is vulnerable. And yet, let's look at what happens when this vulnerable singer sings about vulnerability. So I'm going to ask Andrew Hanold, our wonderful colleague, to turn on the video which is about three minutes and 41 seconds. You're Callum, Jade's brother. Are you okay? Yeah. Oh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. I'm 26, I'm from Hull, uh, and I'm singing a cover of a song by Robin. I love Robin. Yeah. It's dancing on my own, but it's a bit slower. Okay, whenever you're ready, good luck. <clears throat> Thank you. Somebody said you got a new friend Does she love you better than I can? 
There's a big black sky over my town I know it ain't a bit she's around Stilettos and broken bottles I'm spinning around in circles And I'm in the corner Watching you kiss her Oh, oh, oh And I'm right over here Why can't you see me? Oh, oh, oh And I'm giving it my Far away, but still so near The lights come on, the music dies But you don't see me standing here I just came to say goodbye I'm in the corner watching you kiss her start with the end, which is, how do you interpret the standing ovation, kind of the rapturous applause, the, the spontaneous standing ovation? You know, I don't watch these shows, but I suspect that's not what happens with every contestant, that they don't all get a standing ovation. They don't get all four panelists to judge them, who judge them, standing up. 100% um, alignment that this is a moment. What was that? Your colleagues. What was that? Aliza, can you help me out here? I'm with you. I'm with you. Sorry. That was a, a wonderful demonstration of his deep vulnerability. His, you, you see this singer that gets up, and he is clearly nervous and clearly trembling, and, and he's he's not even really emoting, and he's he's like very very shaky, and at the same time, he's he is super nervous and super um, vulnerable in your in your presence. He's uh, talented, and that I think combination of of vocal talent 
and uh, vulnerability, uh, I think, touches people's hearts. And talk for a minute about uh, the content of the song, which is, uh, I mean, I sent out the lyrics to the package, but I'm in the corner watching you kiss her. Oh, 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 I'm right over here. Why can't you see me? Why can't you see me? Oh, 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 I'm giving it my all, but I'm not the girl you're taking home. I keep dancing on my own. That's just like a very raw expression of pain, aloneness, loneliness, rejection, etc. Um, what, what's your response to So you have him seeing that he's vulnerable, but he's thinking about vulnerability. Um, how did you guys respond to this moment? And I know that we're a diverse group with diverse opinions, so feel free to share your unvarnished feelings, dear colleague. Debbie Downer. Um, all right, my friend. First of all, I love you. <laughs> I love you. It's never good when you start that never, way. It's never good when you start with I love you. I love you, Wes. There's love, always an I, I love, love you. There's a but the size of Brazil. But. <laughs> uh, I love you, Wes, and I love, you know, how you always try to innovate and bring current topics to, to really reflect on them. Um, okay, and now your main point? My main point is that I like the song. I like the message of the song. We all, as you said it before, we can all relate to that. Definitely. 100%. I don't like, I don't like the show. I don't like the show. I don't like, I don't like his voice. I don't think he's nervous. I think it's all prearranged. The judges, they have to look bad, you know, as, as ogres. And... Uh, People in the audience, they have signs when to clap and when to do standing ovations. So you think it's all stage? I don't believe anything of that is real. Okay. okay. I don't believe anything of that is real, but that being said, this is me, okay? Right. But what about the tooth fairy? The tooth uh, fairy. No, but I like, I like, I like, no, the main point is here, the, the message of the song. Right. And that is very powerful. Yeah, okay. So the, the, the show itself, you find staged, but the message of the song, the vulnerability of the singer, alone at a party, why can't you see me, is, is, is real. Dan, how did you respond to it? I'm not going to lie, I'm not sure about the stage. I think, I think the stage is good idea, but not all the time on that show. But I watched this occasion. There are many, many, many other performances that are, that are far better. Right. So I'm not, I'm not sure that that deserved um, you know, the standing ovation and the golden buzzer. I, I, think, but I think he was related to one of the guys backstage, is that right? So to the woman, okay, the brother so, of a yeah. previous contender, right? Yeah. So, um, so I think that um, they were trying to, you know, add add a little bit more pathos to a moment that didn't really have it, you know. Yeah, and I agree with the lights. The song is great. Uh, the original performance, what, you know. The, what does the song say to you, then? Oh yeah. Um, what does the song say to you, aside from the performance? Yeah. Um, so I would, yeah, I would say the same thing that um, that you began with. That it's really um, that we are. We, we are actually, as human beings, we are 99% alone in our own dancing on our own. Um, and even when we, when we are in deep relation with others, um, then we are, still, we are still very much dancing on our own. I think that's part of the human condition that makes us, that makes each, that makes us um, very much uh, individuals. Uh, and, and I think also, you know, it, uh, and especially now, you know, we are social creatures as human beings, but, as, but um, especially now when there's so much more isolation, this probably has more power. This particular you know, song has more power because 
it just it goes to the fact that uh, that our isolation exacerbates part of, of who we are as uh, in genetically as as, as humans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just want to say one of the things that also came up for me while I was hearing you talk is that the producers actually reenacted the song in some ways because right the song is about watching someone with the object of your own affection and here's the sister behind the stage watching her brother dancing with her dream so to speak of the getting the golden buzzer and there's this heightened sense that you get as a watcher that like he he's getting to dance with the prize she's not and it, it's this whole right. interesting frame on frame right and Dan let me ask you this question um, what is so the song captures a truth about life which is that we are all dancing on our own um, in the song itself by the way uh, the song itself ends with uh, I'm right over here. Why can't you see me? Oh, I'm giving it my all, but I'm not the girl you're taking home. Oh, I keep dancing on my own. I keep dancing on my own. I keep dancing on my own. The end. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so the song itself is about the pathos and pain of dancing on your own and doesn't itself contain a note of hope for what we do about it. What do you think is a helpful response to the fact that we are all dancing on our own? Good question. Um, but I would maybe suggest that our life's mission is to not do that. Our life's mission is to find someone, to somebody, or some group that we can connect with. Um, and you know, and even even within group dynamics, um, individuals are often unseen. Uh, and even in in, in deep relationship, um, there are times when uh, each partner is unseen by the other. Mm. And we're going to get to, I want to Michelle to come here from you, but that is going to be our pivot to, to the biblical side of this, which is God and Israel both have a relationship where each feels they are dancing on their own. Um, and it's uh, the, the, the relationship between God and the people of Israel is a, is a biblical enactment of this song, in my opinion, but we'll talk about that. But Michelle. And I love the face that you're making now because it's uh, so full of, of skeptical. Uh, you were going to say. I, I love the effort here to be current and to connect with the, with the video. Uh, no, I, for me, right, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I uh, am particularly uh, drawn to comment one way or another on the pop culture kind of reference, was the singer good, was the singer not good, oh, you know, the, okay, the, but the singer, content of the, song, the message the, of the, the, the message, the message of the, uh, of the song itself is, of course, a powerful one, um, you know, I, when I heard this, I thought of that beautiful song that David wrote, um, and your son, and, uh, you know, thinking about the sunshine, and, you know, how, how we're drawn into um, into the, the lives of others, um, I'm, I think there's a there's a place and there's a role for expressing the isolation, and there there's a sense in which all of us are born into this world on our own, and we die on our own. We we bring nothing and we leave with nothing, and you know, of course, there are so many rabbinic teachings about how this world is is just a, a a blip on our on our journey as as souls and of course one of the most important things is to 
find in this space a feeling that we're not just dancing on our own. I mean, I think the spiritual endeavor mm. and the whole goal of a relationship with God is to, if I'm speaking of the second part of your question, is not just that we should not feel as the Israelites before us felt that we're dancing on our own, where are you, God? But that ultimately some part of our life should help God not feel so alone as well, that we respond through our deeds to create a world that helps God feel seen and helps us feel seen by God and helps us feel like we're not dancing on our own. We've always, we're always part of a magnificent dance that goes on and on and on and on. Thank you, Michelle. Well, so let's pivot with that to the biblical text. Um, you all know that Heschel's uh, probably best-known work is called God in Search of Man, right? So, um, of course, it's written in the 50s before uh, they speak differently back in the 50s. Um, we call it God in Search of Humanity today. But when Heschel wrote it, God in Search of Man, God is on the dance floor dancing all alone looking for a partner. And I, I just want to spend a minute tracing, here's what we're going to do, i spend a minute tracing this idea that the people of Israel feel they're dancing on their own. Then we're going to look at uh, how God is dancing on God's own. The people of Israel are disappointed by God. Where are you? Why don't you see me? God is disappointed the people of Israel. Why don't you see me? Um, and then we're going to look at Heschel's phrase, divine pathos which kind of puts this in um, relief. And then we're going to step back and ask, why is it that our sacred canon imagines a relationship that has so much pain and mutual not seeing? So um, I'm just going to read some of these texts uh, out, which is uh, on page 5. I mean, today's reading in Bo, the Israelites get out of Egypt finally. But the way that the beginning of the redemption story starts is, this is on page 5, from Exodus, the Israelites were groaning under the bondage and cried out. And their cry for help from the bondage rose up to God. God heard their moaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. Which means, and uh, Jonathan Safran Foyer and Nathan Englander point this out in the New American Haggadah, they have a whole fabulous page on this, this verse which is, if God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when the people were crying out, that means that God must have somehow forgotten that covenant, and it was their crying out that made them, they're crying out, why can't you see me, why can't you see me, why can't you see me? And until they were crying it out, God couldn't see them. So they're alone, not dancing on their own, they're alone being enslaved on their own, they're alone getting whipped by taskmasters on their own, they're alone building pyramids on their own. And God doesn't see them until they cry out. And by the way, that's 430 years. 430 years. It's a lot of generations born and raised and died as slaves. So that's the people dying on their own. Uh, what do you guys make of that? Of the fact that they could say in the language of Robin's song, why can't you see me? Uh, and times 430 years. What, what sense do you make of that? And then we'll come to the God's end of the equation. I think that the whole journey to Egypt kind of started out 
by a misplaced sense that they were dancing on their own, right? Like God gives them this promise that God's going to be with them and God's going to make them um, a, a nation and God's going to give them the land of Israel. And then the first bit of, of drought and, and, and famine comes and they are afraid and they don't turn to God. They turn away from God and go on their own. Um, so I think that there is um, in this both the sense of like, times where we really are on our own and also times, right, I work a lot with um, teens and middle schoolers and you see often a kid where you as a teacher will see them in school and they're talking with people and they seem like they have friends and then you say like, do you have friends? And they'll say like, I don't have, nobody talks to me, I don't have any friends and you're like, I was I was there yesterday I, I, I remember you were laughing, you were, you were hanging out, but it's the internal sense of being on your own, not the, the reality and so I think there's both but, the... Okay, but in this case, it's objectively the case that for 430 years, they were on their own. That wasn't a subjective feeling. That was the whip of a taskmaster. But here's my question. When you zoom out, like if we were writing our story and we were imagining a relationship between God and our ancestors, between God and us, would we want a long period of 430 years where God forgot the covenant and where we had to be truly miserable and cry out to wake up God and to make God remember? Like, what purpose does this chapter serve, these verses serve, that there was a whole long period where God did not see us? What does that serve? You're always the defender of God, Michelle. No, I, in this case, I actually, I was thinking a lot about standing. We bring it up in this class a lot because it was so powerful for us. And when we were standing at Auschwitz and, and Elias sang the just extraordinary Ma'amim that you sang there in the Kaddish, and and this sense that I have a template. You know, Egypt gives me a template to understand the moments in modern history and the moments in, in our lives where we also feel like God has abandoned us somehow. Like and, the Holocaust and, and invests in us the, yeah, it, it, it invests in us a template and a possibility that yes, it is true that there are moments where God is not active in our world in the way we want God to be, mm. but God has not gone, and there's some day when God will come again, and and Hatikva can be sung again. In other words, if we if we inhabit a history where people love dead Jews, to paraphrase Sarah Horn's title, um, if people love dead Jews and get away with it, then we need this paragraph in Exodus where somehow God is somehow allowing this to happen. And that's then and, and now. Um, so that's that's us dancing on our own. I want to get to God's point of view, though. God is in search of us. Um, let, I want to move to a happy vision, which is uh, on page six of the handout. And I'll just read it again for those uh, who, who don't have it in front of you. But this is a vision of a happy marriage. Um, and this is right before God, this is after God has freed us from slavery. This is right before God gives us the Torah, so it's after Exodus, before Sinai. Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and declare to the children of Israel, you have seen, right, this vision of seeing, this importance of seeing, see me, why don't you see me? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. Now then, if you will obey me faithfully, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Israel, all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. In other words, before Sinai, God remembers us 
God reminds us, we, um, we have a deal going on. We have a covenant. I rescued you. You saw that. Now you're going to be my people. You see me. I see you. Right? But the reality, this is just the, the last biblical text before we get to Heschel, is that the theme of the Bible is that we're always disloyal to God. In Numbers, we're disloyal to God. In Deuteronomy, we're disloyal to God. And in all the post-Deuteronomy history, Deuteronomic history, in Kings and Samuel, etc., we're always disloyal to God. And the prophets then bring this up. So I will just read Jeremiah and then we'll zoom out. Jeremiah, why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by no gods when I fed them their field. They committed adultery. They went trooping to the harlot's house. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing at another's wife. Shall I not punish such deeds? I'm dancing on my own, God says. You're kissing the other girl. You're kissing the other God. You're just, and you, you don't see me. You don't see me. You don't see that I saved you. So you have, you have here this weird history, um, as our case kind of presents it, of both parties feeling not seen. What sense do you make of this? Elias? So the text of Etro, uh, you know, in the, context, in the context of relationship, I don't like it because it brings words like obey. And what kind of relationship you can have with somebody in human aspects is when you say obey. You know, if you obey me and my laws, you'll be rewarded. Oh, I like that. Okay. I'm not talking about the concept of, of you know, religiousness here and the, the covenant of the people. I'm talking about applying this to relationship among human beings. Well, so if you study well, you can use your screen time. Right? There are relationships in which we use that obey construct too. Um, dance? So you, you, you began by noting that so many of us dance on our own so much of our lives. Mm -hmm. And now we turn to the Torah for wisdom and inspiration, and it turns out that when we think about God and the people of Israel, these texts all portray them dancing on their own. What sense do you make of this? So um, this goes back to Genesis, right? The very first, you know, the, what, the very first human beings immediately um, disconnect themselves with, from God, um, you know, uh, and so from that moment on, there is a, uh, a push and pull between humanity uh, that God created and God, and that it, it's evident in every stage. And then when, when the Torah then zooms in on uh, the family of, uh, of, of Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, we have that going on again. Right? Um, and, then, and then if we just uh, fast forward to the part of the Torah we're in now, uh, what happens after uh, you know, next Shabbat uh, What happens immediately after Shabbat Shira? Um, oh, it would have been so much better, you know, had we stayed in Egypt. The food was better, you know. Why did you Why did you bring us here to die? So that there's always this tension between humanity and God, uh, and that it's it's about the, the unseenness of one to the other. Um, and it's 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 not, it's macro and uh, and micro. And is there any way in which this is helpful? Yeah. I, so uh, before Shabbat, Deb Hirsch sent us this really amazing article about uh, the Chabad uh, movement on campus and how do Chabad houses get all of the college students to come? And uh, there's 
it pulled out really beautifully this idea of that in a bowl of soup or in a Shabbos meal, people feel like they are like they are at home. And and then it asked the Chabad rabbi, well, why do you do this, right? Why why do you want all these Jews who are not like you and most of whom are not going to be like you to feel at home? And the Chabad rabbi said, because more Jews doing more mitzvot is just better for the world. The Chabad ethos is that there's somehow a, a need. God has a need for us to see God, to follow those mitzvot is an act of, of love for God, no matter what we do, if it's a little bit more. And and I think this whole construct, and we're going to get to it a little bit with Heschel, but, but this whole construct of, of God feeling abandoned, you know, what if we could shape our lives so that we saw the things we do as mattering for God, as as helping God, and not only as mattering for us and helping us. You're looking at me quizzically. No, 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 no. Right? But I, I think that's the shift in theology, and that's the shift in in our perspective. Normally, when we talk about mitzvot, we talk about good deeds. We talk about what we do for each other, what we do for the world. Right. What would it look like to imagine if you really take seriously that God is dancing on God's own? What would it look like if we could see our our actions as a response to that? So, in other words, so, to channel JFK, don't ask what God can do for us. Ask what we can do for God. And it's a virtuous cycle because it all it all moves and goes around. Because once you can see yourself as acting in this world. Mm-hmm. For God, then you also start to pay attention to the ways that God is acting in this world for you. So, what what does it make you, the believer, the stronger believer among all of us here? I'm sorry, I'm speaking for myself. As the stronger believer here, why why does it make feel that God needs us? I don't. First of all, I don't think there is such a thing as stronger believer. I think in grappling with faith is also a kind of belief. Um, and I really take very seriously the power of, you know, as long as you're calling out, why am I dancing on my own? Where are you, God? You still have a very powerful relationship with God. So just want to establish that. Um, but uh, what, is, what does it mean for God to need us? How does that? Um, well, I mean, that's what our Torah tells us and teaches us throughout the whole thing. I mean, that's one of the foundations of our of our theology is that God needs us. But, and I, I also appreciate the idea that, and this could be a much longer conversation, but that some of what happens throughout history may come about as much because God feels, you know, going back to what Eliza said, because God feels like you're not turning to me. You're not listening. I, I put the path out. Brad Artson has this beautiful theology that he presents of, of God as a lure, right? Putting out possibility before us, and it's up to us to see and, and respond and, and open ourselves to it. And, and if God needs us to see God, then, then maybe there's sort of a cosmic magnet that could draw us over time to be able to sort out those things that are us kind of taking the wrong path and us responding to that lure. Um, Elias, let me also try to answer your question with, with Heschel's language, which is divine patience, right? So here's, here's divine patience, which is 
um, unlike other conceptions of God, that God is some first mover, some prime mover, exists above and doesn't have feelings, our conception of God, according to Heschel, God cares. God has an emotional life. God has a royal, intense emotional life. God really cares about you. God really loves you, and God is very disappointed by you, by us. And God wants to be loved. That's the whole idea of divine pathos. God wants to be loved. God cares. And so here's the, here's the paradox. God is the creator of the whole world. God is the most powerful force in the world. That's what makes God God. And, what God, and so you would think that God could pick a perfect partner where they're just fabulously unloved. They're on an eternal honeymoon. They're just so happy, happy, happy. But no, God picks finite mortal humans, flawed, not always faithful, sometimes fickle, sometimes feckless, sometimes ungrateful, sometimes with short memories. And that's who God picks. Like God picks, makes seemingly a bad choice for God's partner, namely the people of Israel. That's how I show, right? And then God's pathos is God is always trying to improve the marriage. God is always trying to work on the marriage. God is always trying to move to, to channel Hosea from not my people to my people. Right? And that, that, so that's, that's what we have a God who cares and a God who is broken, who has a broken heart. We believe in a God who has a broken heart. And, and, and the thing that breaks God's heart is us. And our heart's broken because God broke our heart, right? So it's a weird thing, right? We, 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 have, uh, we have two broken hearts, and that's divine pathos. Um, so my question is, that, that we didn't write, that, you know, the prophets wrote and Heschel wrote, that we received. And my question here is, is this helpful? Is this good? Is this helpful? How does the notion of broken-hearted lovers, a God who cares but his heart is broken, a people who care but our heart is broken. A God who feels not seen. A people who don't see. How is that helpful to us when we are dancing on our own? And I just want to add one more question that I would love to hear from you. Uh, I think this question is eternal, but it's really urgent now because wouldn't it be helpful in this vulnerable period with cases soaring and spirits low if we could somehow come up with a conception of vulnerability where we could do an alchemy move? where we could turn our vulnerability into a strength. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm grappling for. I don't have the answer. That's the question. Somehow our tradition gives us broken-hearted lovers. Somehow our tradition gives us pathos-filled lovers. Our tradition gives us vulnerability lovers. How can we take that vulnerability that we feel like, oh, my God, if I see another story about COVID. Oh, my God, if I find out about another breakthrough case. Oh, my God, if I, find, if I hear the word Omicron again. But, oh, my God, if I have to test myself again. Oh, my God, if I have to find a test and I can't even find a test again. Right? Uh, plus winter, plus snow, plus darkness, plus cold, plus short days. Like, how am I going to survive this? How can we turn our vulnerability into a strength? Elisa Gabrielle uh, Berger, what wisdom you got? I, I want to go back to your point about relationship because I think particularly in our culture, we idolize the sort of, uh, you know, ride off in a fairy tale into the sunset in your in your golden carriage, and that once you meet the right person, it's just effortless and beautiful and perfect, and you never have any conflict, and it's just love is never fighting, and all this stuff that's actually totally not true. And I feel like um, Harville Hendricks talks about how um, when you attract your partner, it's the person who's going to 
plug you in. He's going to he's gonna irritate you in the ways that you needed to be irritated to, to grow. He's going to reenact for you your childhood traumas, and you're going to reenact for them their childhood traumas because the whole act of marriage or partnership or relationship is actually helping us to go to, to grow together. And so this feels like our relationship with God you, know, you can look at it like this negative, like we're always alone and God's always alone and we're never there for each other. Or you can look at it like we're the perfect partners for each other because we help each other to grow in the ways that we need to grow. And and that mindset, I think, is a particularly helpful mindset. You know, if, if every adversity that we encounter, if COVID is like, oh, this is the wrong way to be, then blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, it's just awful. That's one frame of mind that, that doesn't get you very far and just makes the world feel very unideal. But if COVID is the agent that's actually plugging into our deepest fears and helping us to process through things that we need to process through to become the best that we can be, uh, that's a different way to experience it. It's, it's very much, Mayori Nain has a gorgeous teaching about Bo, that uh, the word come is spelled Beit Aleph. Um, and, and Rabbi Eric Green shared this this week, that, that um, Aleph comes after Bet. The singularity of God comes after the duality of Pharaoh. And, and our challenge is always when we're encountering evil, when we're encountering challenge, when we're encountering tourists, to see God behind it and to engage with it as a holy uh, interaction with God rather than as some evil force uh, uh, causing us to suffer. So, Michelle, you're going you're gonna to love this. I, I, I was thinking of physics and chemistry here. Um, if you believe that... Uh, if we believe that the world started when God said, if I eat war, you know, in the Big Bang, uh, and that from that moment on, uh, everything has been moving away from itself. Uh, and, uh, and, if we, and if we think about uh, the structure of, um, you know, of atoms, electrons, protons, and everything's forcing itself away from everything else. Um, so... How, how does that fit into this conversation? It fit, I think it fits in in that that the world is is really just one of tension. The world is just is just one of tension. And on the positive side, uh, and, uh, the electron, the positive, uh, uh, which I, I, get, I get it all wrong. I'm going to get yelled at when I get home because my my chemistry is not good. Is that in the Torah portion today? It's in the Torah portion. Everything is in the everything, Torah. Everything is in the Torah. Everything is Torah. So, but on the other hand. On the other hand, not only is everything pushing away from each other, from, from itself, everything is also pulling towards itself. So, um, that, so I, I was thinking of this uh, so connection. And, and so that, in itself, that in itself is the positive in that not only, is things, not only are things moving away, but also things are trying to come back together. And that's the idea of, um, of coming together. Um, and so, so when, 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 God create, when God creates this world where we are at odds with each other, it's just very, it's very, it's so interesting. Why, you know, why did God have to create a history for the Jewish people that would involve 430 years of slavery? And I think, I think the answer to that is that in order to have a closer relationship, um, and as, as you said, you know, it's, it's, everything's not always just, you know, rose-colored glasses. Um, in order to have a, a better relationship, a stronger relationship, you have to have the adversity uh, that goes along with that. Uh, yes, um, so I need to say something. I'm sorry, Wes. I have to say this. So in the show The Voice, a couple of years ago, they brought... We don't do any cultural references. Yes, 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 yes. In show The Voice. No, but, but then I get, I get to the point later. But 
the show The Voice, they brought an Argentinian cab driver, taxi driver, who was living in Miami to sing. And he had this amazing voice. They only forgot that I saw this guy in Argentina doing the main roles of so many shows. Okay? So they portrayed him as this unknown character who, out of the blue, had this fabulous voice. And it happened that he was working as a cab driver because he emigrated from Argentina. He didn't have any other job. But before that, he was a professional singer. Anyway, that speaks about the shows. <laughs> now, and that bears on our conversation. How? Yes. No, nothing to do. I just needed to say <laughs> Nothing to do with it. I, I wanted to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. Now, uh, in, this, in this class today, I have, I have a little hard time combining the two scenes that we are putting here together. And I love you, West. And I love you, West. Right. So one is the, the dancing along and the human relationships between a group of people, or how you feel among a group of people, or if you are seen or not, or in your, you know, in the relationship with a couple. And another very different thing is, you know, the relationship between the Jewish people and God. I, I have a hard time today seeing that together, so I... I agree 100% that relationships are workable, and then when you get a disappointment with somebody, uh, all of a sudden, without even thinking, you meet somebody who everything perf fits perfectly, and it's so easy to be to be uh, with that person. That's another thing. But then I keep thinking about this Argentinian rabbi that I grew up with, who was an angel, who was an angel, who for 40 years he had a great congregation where where everything flourished, and he gave so many blessings to so many people, and he died of COVID. So I, I have a hard, such a hard time putting together this idea that God sees us and the relationship between the Jewish people and God, why a thing like this happened. And it's hard for me to see a, you know, ending on optimistic view with that and not so much about human relationship because that is more workable. Right. So let me let me end this class by trying to respond to the last three comments, uh, Eliza's, Dan's, and Elias. Elias, you asked, is there actually a coherence to this class? Is there a coherence, is there a connection between dancing on my own, which is about a human feeling rejected by somebody that they love, who loves somebody else, on the one hand, and the divine pathos, the relationship between God and the people of Israel, where God feels unseen by the people of Israel and the people of Israel feel unseen by God. What's the connection, right? So I feel, uh, so here's my attempt at putting this together. I feel they're one. I feel they're one. I feel they are all. I feel they are profoundly connected, interconnected. And the issue is, um, the issue is feeling Number one, alone, dancing on my own, feeling vulnerable, feeling disconnected, feeling alienated. Um, that is alone from other people who I can't see because I don't want to see because I might get Omicron. And feeling alone by God. Like, what the heck, God? What the heck? Can't you do better than this? Right? So I'm alone, dancing on my own. I don't see people. And I don't, honestly, I'm not feeling a lot of being seen by God. So to me, these are very interconnected. Uh, and, uh, and what I take from this conversation is actually very helpful, where Lisa and Dan's comments, and I don't usually, you know, resonate to protons and neutrons and, <laughs> and science, 
But here's, but I, I heard you saying in different ways the same point, and, and I heard you both answering the same question, which is, why does our sacred canon give us such a flawed relationship, such a problematic relationship? And the answer is because that's life. And the answer is because that's the human condition. And in fact, if, if, if the Torah and the prophets had given us a relationship where God and the Jewish people were just fabulously in love and happy and conflict-free forever, that would have not rung true. And that would not have much to say to us. But the fact that our sacred canon gives us a loving but troubled relationship where, where they're in creative tension but they don't give up on each other, that is a helpful model for us. And that life is, uh, is all about managing our tensions and working through our tensions. And we very, you know, there's the classic tradition uh, that you don't say, lech b'shalom, go in peace until somebody's dead. When they're in their grave, they get peace. Lech b'shalom. Go in peace. Now you finally can have peace. While people are alive, we say, Lech Lishalom. Go towards peace. Peace, serenity, anchoring, then is, is something we are always moving towards, but that we never achieve it while we're actually alive, only after we're gone. And I think that what I take from Aliza and Dan, your comments about chemistry and science and no happy endings, is that the reason for our divine pathos is to tell us we're not alone. We're not alone in our aloneness. Right? It's part of the human condition. Um, and, and the remedy is try again and wake up this morning and every morning with an attitude where we're going to try to find the connection. We're going to try to find the connection between people. We're going to try to find the connection between God. And here is, by the way, is how God and the people piece fit together. Um, here's the answer to the story. Uh, the purpose of prayer, let's say, in daily minyan, it, maybe it's good for God. But for the most part, praying to God brings us in connection with each other. And that is just such a beautiful thing. You know, there's a, um, somebody started coming to minyan who I had never seen before. And he's coming davka during the darkest, coldest moments and year, days of the year. He's coming davka during the snow. And, uh, and he's from, from Belmont. And I'd never seen him before. And I said, uh, what, what brings you here? Are, are you saying Kaddish to somebody? And he said, no. It's just, you're the only synagogue that's open. You're the only synagogue that's open. And I wanted to see people. So by finding God, he found people. By finding God, he found connection so that we are all dancing a little bit less Shabbat Shalom.